there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. If you like movies or marketing or the idea of being in a creative industry, then this is the episode for you. My guest has decades of experience working at places like Sony Pictures Entertainment and will be sharing his insights and counsel in just a minute. But first, I want to make sure that you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter giving you a sneak peek at the episodes we're going to be dropping that week. And it is super easy to sign up. Just go over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And it's right there on the homepage. And while you're there, you can check out all the episodes we've got cataloged for you by profession, whether it's international affairs, journalism, public relations, IT tech, and of course, marketing. And you can click on any of the categories that most interest you and listen to any number of professionals working in those fields. Now, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is George Leon, a global brand marketing specialist with 25 years of experience at top motion picture and television studios specializing in creating award-winning concepts, negotiating complex high-value agreements, and motivating diverse teams to over-deliver for partners and clients. George is also the founder and CEO of Cakewalk Entertainment, which pushes entertainment properties and brands beyond the screen and into consumers' everyday lives. George, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am so caffeinated and ready to go. Nice to, nice to talk to you, Andrea. Likewise. Thank you so much for making time to help Java junkies better understand this industry. So you founded Cakewalk, is it about four years ago? No, actually about two years ago. Okay. Uh, I, I started Cakewalk Entertainment, and it is a full-service promotional marketing entertainment agency. And so break that down for us. What does that mean? Well, we represent theatrical movies, and we try to negotiate third-party promo ideas and deals for them. So, for example, we're working on a bunch of different films right now. We're working on James Bond. We're working on Legally Blonde. Adam's family and a bunch of brands that we go out to market with. You just said something that I actually had never heard before. What does theatrical movies mean? Well, it's it, sorry, it's probably just movie lingo. We just refer to it as theatrical movies. I guess they're all. I guess that they're all movies, but we want to. We are movies that have come out in theaters, and I'm assuming that there are made-for-television movies and Netflix movies. We're specific for movies that go out on a global scale. Okay, got it. So can you walk us through like what you're doing for one of these movies, maybe either James Bond or Legally Blonde? Uh, sure. So uh, let's talk. Can I change the conversation to Adam's family? Because that we are right in the middle of Adam's. Go family. for it. So Adam's family is a new animated film that comes out in Halloween of 2019. 
team. So we are currently out there talking to like-minded brand partners and, and brand marketers to try to convince them to help us market the theatrical movie. We're about getting our marketing message in places that we can't buy our way into. Now, I understand that you are one of the people who actually kind of pioneered this approach when you were EVP at Sony Pictures. How was it done before? Well, I I think it's really, thank you for calling me a pioneer in it. The industry has been around for a long time. However, there has been kind of a shift, uh, an evolution, if you will, about the importance of this type of marketing to opening up a global blockbuster. And a a lot of that shift for us is that it used to be that you would get, you would do this type of activity to for licensing and royalties and for money up front. However, we changed the industry that we were looking more for back-end marketing support than to monetize it up front. And so that really changed the industry of how people use properties out there to help promote. So when you say back-end, what do you mean? I mean that I am going to give up upfront fees and really look for the marketing support when I need it during my theatrical window. So I am upfront. I could be going out and closing deals on Adam's family that I can monetize it, or I'll do the deals now for back-end marketing support. That means when my movie comes out in October of 2019, I want my partner to help market my film through their marketing channels. Each deal is different with each category. So basically what we would do, let's talk about kind of a costume manufacturer or a fast food partner, if you will. We would go in, highlight what makes our property special and talk about the social currency of what our movie will mean and the millions of people that will go out and see our movie. So we will negotiate that as and, and try to get a partner's marketing kind of support around our theatrical movie. Now, a deal could take place that you get a royalty, a license up front, a fee. In place of creating costumes, we will get a, a percentage anywhere ranging from, and this is a broad percentage, from 7% to 15% on goods that they make. On a fast food partner, we may not want to get their upfront fee, but would rather get $30 million of above-the-line marketing support to help launch the film. So, George, marketing is a big field. How do you think Java junkies can figure out like what aspect of marketing is the right fit for them? What are all the Uh, different categories that they could be looking at? Oh, Andrew, I think that's the perfect question because marketing is so vague and it's so sliced and diced between different disciplines. Everything from what I do from consumer marketing to promotions to digital marketing to strategy and research to creative advertising to publicity to special events to field. So it's so broad and there are specialists across every single division. I think for somebody new who wants to be in the marketing business is really to kind of get their feet wet. And I always suggest for anybody to start to get in through a studio, through a temp service and sit on people's desks, be an assistant and move around from different disciplines until you find the right discipline that works best for you. Yeah, for sure. So how did you find 
the right discipline for you? Like everything else in life, I fell into it. I fell into an up and coming industry, which was licensing and merchandising. And I was working for an iconic brand, Laurel and Hardy, old black and white brand. And we were trying to do license, classic license deals. And one thing led on to another that you just, you know, your pitches get broader, you meet different people, you start getting into different industries, other opportunities came up. So I I started out with licensing. So that was kind of where you landed, but you probably didn't think ahead of time, oh, that's like the right fit for me. No, I, 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 I got, I was an assistant for somebody who was the head of marketing and they were all about licensing and merchandising. And it really had the elements that I really loved, which was all about brainstorming, pitching and selling and closing ideas that it doesn't matter what the, that's really where my strengths have always been is trying to figure out who to talk to, who to sell it to and how to position and sell it. And I think I could take that skill and go across different marketing disciplines, but that's what I loved and that's what I focused in on. Your enthusiasm and like your passion just kind of comes through Uh, the microphone. How do you formulate your pitches? Can you take us into, could you give us an example of how you took the movie concept or maybe the finished movie and then converted that into the pitch for consumer marketing? Well, I think it's at first you read the script and you figure out what are the what is the script telling you are the actual needs that you may need to put products in the film. And if there is an actual, you know, if it's written into the script and there's a real a big need, opening up those conversations about integrating products into the film and then parlaying that into a broader conversation is one way. Or like Adam's family, you read a beloved brand that has is an IP that you has been around for 80 years. So you understand it. And there's a seasonality to it because you're going, it comes out in Halloween. And so that already helps you on how you approach and how you pitch. But it could be, you know, let's say something like Legally Blonde. This will be the third film. I get a sense of what's happened in the past. I realize that there's been a big time change. People approach certain brands differently. And, um, but there is a kind of an overall female empowerment positioning of the film. And so where are the other like-minded brands out there that want to kind of connect with us in, in that space? So it really, it always depends on each movie, each product, each story. So something you said again, George, it was like, oh, no, I was like, really? So when you were saying you start often by reading the script. I was thinking you were reading the script and the movie was already done. So there is that kind of reverse engineering that's taking place where there's like a partnership between someone who is a marketing consumer products expert like you talking with the movie studio to say, hey, we could work in something for Coca-Cola here. We could work in something for Audi here. We could do this. We could do that. Correct. So we are always working at least 12 to 24 months out because that's the timeline a lot of branding, marketing, or decisions are being made. So everyone is focused on 
fourth quarter 2019 and first quarter 2020 at the moment. So we work with projects that we are in the, you know, we work in both ways. We work with projects that we're in the script stage that we're trying to influence the script and help offset production by getting them product. Or sometimes we do get an already baked project theatrical movie that's done that we'll have to see the movie and try to figure out what are those marketing messages? Who are we trying to talk to? And and if we're trying to target a specific demographic, who else is in that business targeting that demographic that can work with us to help promote it? Got it. Gosh, I'm I'm just trying to figure there are a lot of moving pieces here. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry for being all over the place, but it's a really a broad it's a it, again, it's a great job if you want to learn a little about a lot of different industries because you have to stay flexible and you have to figure out a strategy of a marketing strategy of where you're going on every single project. And that again may be a certain type of demographic that you're trying to talk to. There could be a seasonal play. There could be an integration within the script that you need to kind of rely and leverage for something else bigger and broader. Um, So there's a lot of different moving parts. I would imagine, George, that one of your super skills would have to be networking. It always is. I think it's not just this industry. I think that for all of the Java junkies out there, getting into the workforce, meeting other I call them friends. Meeting other friends that are in that industry only helps. And networking is the root of all industries. Is it hard to get in front of these different brands that you want to partner with? Or is that part not so challenging when you say, hey, I've got Legally Blonde, I've got the Adams Family properties, and we want to talk to you? It, it depends on the industry. However, every single company has a marketing, a, a, a like-minded marketing department that as marketers go, we always have to be available for the next big idea. So it's not that difficult getting in front of, if it makes sense, the marketer on the other side of the table will at least listen to you. If we're speaking to the same demographic, you better believe it. Plus, we're a movie. We are social currency because we are entertainment. So people understand the value and the strength of that when it comes to marketing. You've mentioned pitching and that one of your strengths, one of your many strengths is the pitch. Can you take us into the kind of preparation and the work and the product that you are creating as you get ready to pitch? Well, once I have my strategy established and I know who I want to go after, we will create a kind of sales material deck, pitch materials, you name it. However, we will try to customize it specifically for the individual that we're pitching. So in other words, you can't, you got to explain your vision through your pitch for the person on the other side of the table to get it. It used to be that you can rely just on the value of the IP, but now you actually have to go into a pitch with real hard numbers of why it makes sense and what it could look like. So there's a lot of kind of thought starter creation in materials going into a pitch now. So you're coming in with data. For sure. 
data and visuals and expectations. And is the pitch for those who may not be familiar with what it looks like, is it a PowerPoint? Are you, do you bring props in? How do you kind of orchestrate it? It depends on the size and the scale of who you're pitching and how many people. You know, it can be as simple as a PowerPoint presentation. And I have to tell you, when you are in the entertainment industry and you're representing entertainment, your pitch better be entertaining. Your pitch better move, sizzle, dance, have footage. It just better, you know, you, you just have to represent very well. So you know, it could be as easy as kind of a, a really kind of a high end presentation all the way to sometimes we have pitches where we get filmmakers and talent in the room explaining kind of vision of where we're going forward. Wow. And I would also imagine, George, that part of being a great pitch man or a great pitch woman is your ability to tell a story. Absolutely. And I said it earlier about speech class. It was one of those subjects that to me, I giggled about through both high school and college of, oh, do I really need it? And now I look back and I think, wow, that's one of the best courses I took in college because it really kind of under, it really taught me how to stand up in front of a room and tell a story. So speaking of college, You went to the University of the Pacific and you majored in communications and international public relations. Is that right? Absolutely. Because at the time, you and I were chatting before we started recording, they didn't have a marketing major. But do you think you would have selected that? I think so. I think that, well, I, you know, I didn't really under, I didn't fully know where I was going to in college. I went through stages that I was going to be a psychologist, then a psychiatrist. And then I thought I was going to be a photographer. And then I thought, oh no, I'll be an international diplomat and I'll travel around the world. So, so <laughs> that, that's kind of like what happens in college. And it wasn't until after college and getting back into the workforce that it helped me hone into what what exactly who I am now. I think looking back, if I could make a decision, I've always been a cinephile. I've always loved marketing. So if I had the option today, I think I would go at least I I would try everything, but I I would study film and marketing a little bit more. Well, I want to talk with you about after you graduated. But while you were at the University of the Pacific, were there any extracurricular activities or clubs or internships or things that you did in college for fun outside of classes that you look back on now and say, oh, wow, I was actually like honing skills that I use in my professional life. I had a great college career. I had a wonderful time and I took full advantage of uh, of the kind of social aspect of it. However, I worked full time. And now looking back, I have to say that never leaving the workforce and always having a job and that skill going hand in hand with my education is really is, is what really has made me who I am today. So what was your job or what were your jobs? Oh, I had a lot of different jobs. One of one of the one of the jobs that has helped me the most was I was a hardcore bill collector for an ambulance company that I had to cold call individuals who didn't have insurance and have them pay their ambulance bill or figure out a way of paying it through payment plans. And honestly, that is some you can't pay 
for that kind of experience or that kind of education now only because it every time I, I, I cold call marketers all the time and I feel that if I could ask people to pay their ambulance bill I can definitely ask them to be a marketing partner on <laughs> you've got a very like gravelly voice like kind of you know tough guy voice that must have like helped you Yes, being a hardcore collector, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of imply the like, either you pay your bill or I'm going to come break your kneecaps, right? Correct. I mean, it's just, and, 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 the, and the funny thing is that everything in life makes you to who you are. I'm a middle child. I have an older brother and I have a little brother. And being part, being a middle child, I was always the one that just made sure that we all played together and that we all got along. And frankly, that's what my job is now, is that I'm that middle child between movies and corporations around the world and just trying to find ways that we can all continue to play. I think that is such a great point, George, because without even knowing it, Java junkies, depending upon where they are in birth order in their own family and sure. what their family dynamics are, that's another life experience that you are, you know, just bringing into your professional life, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I think that the older you get and the more kind of set in your ways within your career, you start realizing that you're good at what you do because it all matters. And it's the accumulation of everything, your personal life, your education, your work life and your social life that makes you into who you are in your career. I so agree with you. And I have to tell you, George, very little in my life was something I had planned to do. Right. I had all kinds of shit come up that was unexpected where I was thrown curveballs and I had to pivot and I pivoted and I pivoted. And I hope Java junkies just take that in because it really life unfolds. It's super yeah. hard to plan it all out and that's okay. And you will land in a good place. You really will. Yeah, it's it's a hard it's hard to understand that perspective when you're in it, but when when you've lived a little bit longer, you you've come to that realization. Yeah, that's one of the advantages of gray hair. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so George, when you graduated from the University of the Pacific, what was your first job and how did you get it? Uh, let's see. I, my first job right out of college was I was a medical and legal interpreter, bilingual interpreter between Spanish and English here in Los Angeles. And uh, I got it because my high school best friends had an interpreting agency. So I, I, right out of college, I got, I just got into it. Nice. And so how did you get your first job in marketing? So right after my interpreting job, which by the way, helps when you have to speak a foreign language in front of strangers and help communicate between the two has helped me now today. So afterwards, I was, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do next and I knew it was a numbers game. And so I sent my resume to absolutely every single classified ad in the newspaper. That's how you used to find jobs. <laughs> I know. Is, 
you know, either your friends or through a connection, or you just, you looked up all the different career opportunities in the newspaper. And I knew it was a numbers game and I was working at Kinko's part time as well. So I had, I, I, I printed out, I don't know, 3000 resumes. Oh my and I, God. And I used their, sorry, Kinko's, but I used their meter and sent out my resume to absolutely every single classified section. And I landed an assistant job within the entertainment industry. So that was just by chance. Yeah. But I mean, you had, so how many resumes did you send out? Oh, well over 2000. And out of those, out of all of those 2000, I think I got, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 interesting kind of responses. I'm sure it's similar today within the digital and social space of Indeed because they get thousands of resumes and you get very little feedback. I'm sure it's the same ratio. Wow. So you had that first job. And can you give us a sense of what you were doing? And did you just do what was required, George? Or did you do more than what was required? No. I mean, all of a sudden, I was working for... Lauren Hardy and the gentleman that owned Bozo the Clown. So I was young. I was new to the licensing and merchandising business. And it's just, there was just something that I figured this could be my next career. And I liked licensing and merchandising. And they traveled me for the very first time. I went to New York and went, did a trade show and I got to sell. And I thought, aha, I get to be an international diplomat and I just have this company pay for me to travel around and do all these sales. And just one thing, one thing led to another and I was good at it. And, you know, from there I moved on to another property. I I moved to work with Jim Carrey on a movie called Ace Ventura. And then from Ace Ventura, I had an opportunity to work in the kids television business and I did Power Rangers. Oh, wow. Um, early on in the 90s. And we did Fox Kids and did a bunch of kid programming. Then I got into the theatrical movie side. Nice. George, if you would, I try to ask all the Time for Coffee guests to share a story with Java Junkies about a time in their professional life when they really struggled, whether they had a terrible boss or their colleagues weren't great or they were in over their head. In my case, I was fired twice in my 40s. But the more important piece here is how you came through the other side, how you persevered, and what lessons you took away. Well, I have a lot of examples of making mistakes, and it's okay to make mistakes in your career. I think that, I think if I had to pinpoint one strong lesson was I was at a work event for a theatrical movie called Christmas with the Cranks in New York City, and we had a bunch of partners, and we took over Central Park, and we made it snow. And I just, I I partied too much. I was having such a great time that I was partying with, I was with my friends. I just got, I just drank too much and I partied too much. And it got noticed in the paper and there was a story about it. And my bosses literally had to pull me over the next day and asked and were concerned, what was I taking this too serious and was I okay? My bosses did exactly what a boss should do. They were concerned for me. And literally it woke me up. 
that I decided that all fun and games, I could enjoy it as much as everybody else, but I've got to be extremely careful and extremely responsible that I'm there to work and not always just to have fun. And it really woke me up. Yep. I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. I've been there. Let me tell you. I think it's a mistake that a lot of people can understand and it happens to a lot of people. Mine just, it happened to me and it was, part of it was a joke because it got in the paper because it was so much fun and you want to be known for the good of it, not because you're a partier. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great lesson. So final time for coffee question, George. If you could go back to college and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I would get in and out fast. I would focus on what I really like, continue to enjoy it. Um, I would work through college and continue my work experience, even if it was something that I didn't fully like con- decide to continue to the future. But just that experience means a lot. And I, uh, yeah, that's what I would do. I would get in and out fast and I would stay working. I would not take the four to eight years and not work and then come into a workforce and have no experience whatsoever or not even know what I'm good at. I think that is such great advice and something that I'm guessing those Java junkies who may not have to work while they're in school to have their spending money or to help pay for college may not be thinking about as something that they could be doing that's actually going to help them in their profession. Yes. Yes. I always care more about what kind of work that you've done versus what school you came from. Really? 100%. Listen, George, I cannot thank you enough for making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community. You are such a generous and obviously very talented professional. And I know the Java Junkies are going to get a whole lot out of this interview. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it myself. Sometimes when you get to talk this way, you get to kind of get take some satisfaction out of it. And I have. So thank you very much. And may I, may I add that if you want to follow Cakewalk Entertainment on Facebook or on Instagram and just figure out what we think is real good marketing. I think that's a great suggestion and we'll make sure to add it in our show notes. Fantastic. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much. 